Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Headlines. Here at Headlines, we do things a little bit differently than we do on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Headline shows cover four news stories about sustainability, conscious consumption, the environment that you may have missed in the news this week. Today, I'm calling today's headlines Good News Friday because we have three very optimistic stories today. I'm so thrilled about it. The feature story, the last story today, isn't so great. But hey, three out of four ain't bad. So let's get right into the big story today. And that is the EPA's new proposed emissions standards. EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, this week proposed new standards as they relate to the production of electric vehicles. Now, electric vehicles, EVs, they are the way of the future. They just are. However, the rollout of them has been slow. The technology is here, but the rollout has been painstakingly slow, has it not? Here's how slow it's been. As of a few years ago, electric vehicles comprised 2% of new car sales. As of right now, 2022-2023, electric vehicles comprise 7% of new car sales. So for every 100 cars sold, only 7 of them are electric. Well, the EPA's new standards propose a gigantic, gigantic isn't even the right word, monumental leap from the existing 7% to an enormous 66% of new car sales should be electric. These are the toughest ever rules around tailpipe emissions, and these proposed standards are designed to get the car industry to focus on moving those electric vehicles. So let's get a little bit deeper into these proposed standards by the EPA. In a perfect world, if these standards go through, two-thirds of new passenger cars and a quarter, so 25%, of new trucks sold in the U.S. will be all electric by the year 2032. If, and it's a big if, but if enacted as proposed, these standards would put the world's largest economy, which is ours, on track to slash its planet warming emissions at the pace that scientists say is required of all nations. I want to make clear, too, that these standards relate to an entire car company. So the whole fleet of cars that a company makes has to meet them. So if you take Ford, for example, of all of the cars and trucks in Ford's fleet, 66% of their sale of passenger cars by the year 2032 would need to be electric. Now, you might be wondering, well, what does the automotive industry have to say about these strict new standards? Surprisingly enough, the automotive industry has stepped in to say, probably not what you'd think they'd say, they stepped in to say that, yes, they do find the shift to electric to be inevitable. Not many complaints out from them as of yet. Next up, there will be a comment period. There may be a legal fight. Stay tuned. Next up, we're going into some more positive news, and that is the fact that we may have likely reached a turning Point with regard to the use of fossil fuels to produce electricity. Now let's get a little bit of background out of the way. Making electricity is the single biggest contributor to global warming. It is responsible for over one-third of energy-related carbon emissions. That's per 2021 numbers. But phasing out 
coal, oil, and gas in the electricity sector is critical when it comes to curbing climate change. A new report, it's titled The Fourth Edition of Ember's Global Electricity Review, says that in 2023, the growth of wind and solar will, for the first time ever, be greater than the rise in demand, and this will start to turn the tide on warming gases. This year could be the first ever annual drop in the use of coal, oil, and gas to make electricity, putting the pandemic aside, of course. Now, the authors of this report do believe that this expected change is due to a boom in the renewable energy sector. Last year, solar power grew by 24% worldwide, and wind and solar right now produce 12% of global electricity. 12% doesn't sound like all that much, but just to put this into perspective, in 2022, the world added enough wind turbines to power almost all of the United Kingdom. And now if you take that wind and solar and you add it to what's currently being made with regard to nuclear and hydropower sources, clean sources produced 39% of global electricity in 2022. And yes, our electricity demands did continue to grow last year, but the electricity produced last year was in effect the cleanest ever made, And it's believed that 2023 will be even cleaner than that. We're moving on to even more good news, and that has to do with the potential development of sodium batteries. China is positioning itself to command the next big thing, and that is, of course, sodium batteries. Sodium batteries to replace the lithium batteries that we know and use in our solar panels, our electric vehicles, our cell phones. I could go on and on. So let's talk about lithium for a quick minute. This should be a reminder to my ride or die listeners because I have covered lithium, a.k.a white gold on the show before. And it's an older episode, so if you missed it and you want to know more about lithium and its environmental effects, definitely go back, definitely check out episode 260 of this show. The show was called The White Gold Rush. But just so we're all on the same page, lithium is a metal. It is a highly reactive alkaline metal. It is also a finite resource. And extracting this finite resource from the earth is a very polluting process. It is incredibly carbon intensive for one, and it also requires an awful lot of water. We're going to talk about water in our feature spot today. But sodium, on the other hand, is found all over the world as a part of salt. And at the moment, it is way cheaper than lithium. It is one to three percent of the price of lithium, although chemically it's quite similar. Sodium batteries could come with a huge advantage, which is that they can keep almost all of their charge even when the temperature plummets. Lithium batteries don't do that. In colder temperatures, lithium batteries tend to lose their charge quicker. Now, there are some drawbacks at the moment to sodium batteries. One is with regard to their use in electric vehicles. Sodium batteries have to be bigger than the lithium ones to hold the same electrical charge. So sodium batteries might not work in cars, but they could definitely work within the electricity grid or within our solar panels, perhaps. There's also the environmental issues. At the moment, 
Now, because China is spearheading the sodium battery innovation, and because thanks to tensions between China and the United States, China's reluctant to import from the United States, China must produce synthetic sodium ash. Sodium ash, by the way, if you don't know what that is, it is the main industrial source of sodium. The U.S. has an abundance of it, but China doesn't want it from us, right? So they're producing a synthetic version. And they're producing this synthetic version at chemical plants in China that are fueled by coal. So there's the coal issue. We're not going to go down that road today and discuss that, but they're making it by powering plants with a fossil fuel. And on top of that, it's important to know that China's synthetic soda ash industry is notorious for polluting. So keep your ear out for sodium batteries. They may indeed be the next big thing. They might be the next environmentally nicer thing. Stay tuned. We're going to take a quick ad break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about ongoing water inequity. I'll see you in a minute. Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers. So next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you. Coastofmaine.com. And we're back. We are on to today's feature story, which has to do with water inequity. A new study was published this week that found that those of us who are privileged are using huge amounts of limited water resources on non-essentials, on filling their swimming pools and irrigating their gardens and washing their cars. Now, none of this is new, right? Anybody who's thought for more than five seconds about the water crisis that we are indeed facing, and we are indeed facing it, would know that there is an in- There is an equity problem when it comes to water, but let's break it down. The new study was focused on Cape Town, South Africa. However, I want to say at the outset that we are not just talking about Cape Town, South Africa in the feature story today. We are talking about your town. We're talking about your city. But this specific study found that the two wealthiest groups of residents in the coastal city of Cape Town were responsible for more than half of the city's water consumption, despite the fact that these residents comprised less than 15% of the population. So how did they do this? The study divided the city's residents into five groups based on their income, and they found that the most elite group's water usage and a large proportion of the upper middle income group's usage stemmed from those non-essential water use activities, watering their gardens, filling their swimming pools, washing their cars. However, 
the water use among the rest of the population, so the bottom three groups, they used water just to complete their basic daily requirements, keeping hydrated, brushing their teeth, bathing themselves. Now, let's talk about Cape Town for a minute, because I would be remiss if I didn't remind you all of day zero back in 2018. Cape Town came excruciatingly and dangerously close to running out of water. The taps almost ran dry. Now, they didn't run dry, but they almost did. After day zero, it was determined that if all of Cape Town's residents had used a more equitable amount of water, the city could have averted some of the worst effects of day zero. Now, if you're like me and you have been privileged enough to enjoy clean and running water just like magic flowing from your faucets every day of your life, then you may overlook this vital resource. But there is a global water crisis going on. And so I just want to talk about this quickly today. Yes, the Earth's surface is indeed made up of 71% water. But only 2% of the Earth's water is consumable, and only 1% of it is actually accessible to us. And yes, while water is recycled via the water cycle, remember evaporation, condensation, precipitation, yes, while water in theory is a renewable resource, humans are consuming water faster than the Earth can replenish it. That's made worse by the fact that droughts and heat waves are threatening the water supply. Pollution, fertilizer use also threatens the availability of fresh water. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that around the world, worldwide, two things are happening at once. Number one, we're using more water. And number two, we are depleting usable freshwater sources simultaneously. More than 80 metropolitan cities around the world have faced serious water shortages due to droughts and overconsumption in the past 20 years. Some of these cities might be near you. Miami, Mexico City, Sydney, London, Beijing. And these water crises, these 80 water crises in the last two decades, they can be triggered and they definitely are exacerbated by the unsustainable overconsumption of privileged social Groups, so the people fill in those swimming pools and those be- and the people watering those pristine lawns, people like you and me. So if we're talking about overconsumption on this show, about fashion, about trinkets, about using more than we need, consuming more than we need, let's extend that thought, that aversion to wastefulness, as we or as, a, as I, I should say, as I here in the Northeast move into the hot summer seasons. I will be asking myself this summer, and I gently suggest we all do the same. Are we using an appropriate amount of water to meet our needs, or are we wasting it? Now, I have done an episode on this before. It's, an, it's another older episode, so if you're a newish listener, you might have missed it. But definitely go back into the archives and listen. It was episode number 131, titled Five Facts About the Global Water Crisis. And I'll just leave you with a couple sobering statistics about water. If you water your lawn, 
nearly 60% of a person's household water footprint goes toward the lawn and garden. A pool takes 22,000 gallons of water to fill, and if you're not covering it every night, hundreds of gallons of water per month can be lost due to evaporation. And finally, have you washed your car lately? That took 150 gallons of water. So there it is. There's our show today. I will see you on Tuesday for our regularly scheduled interview. I am going away on vacation with my children next week. So we're definitely going to be here Tuesday and we might be here Thursday, but I am skipping headlines next week. And I'm sorry about it for those of you who love headlines, but I need to take a little bit of a break. I'm feeling a little bit burnt out. So I'm going to take a break by taking one, maybe two episodes off, but I'll see you on Tuesday and I'll definitely see you the following week. If you need me, I'm always accessible by email, by social media. So reach out if you need me. Have an amazing weekend and take care.